Well, today we're going to get back into the book of Ephesians. And uh, somebody asked me this morning, there's a whole crew setting up for the picnic. And they said, are you going to be preaching on Ephesians this morning? I said, yeah. They said, no. I said, why? They said, I'm not going to be there. I'm going to be in the park. I said, now that's what a pastor wants to hear. When a person's saying, but I want to hear it. And so I'm hoping we have that sense in our spirits today as we come back into the book of Ephesians. What we're going to do today is we're, we're going to spend some more time with this great prayer that Paul prays to the church in Ephesus in chapter 3 of Ephesians. Last week we looked at it, and um, we're going to look at it one more time this week and, and pull some different stuff out of it. And before we read it, let's just kind of think about what last week was about. Last week we saw, when we looked at this prayer, that the Apostle Paul, who wrote this, was praying for this group of people, and he wanted to make it clear to this group of Christian people, remember it's Christian people he's writing to, that, that there is more to the Christian life than just some mental understanding about God, that we can actually be in a real relationship with God. And he says it this way, that in fact, we can experience inner strength and we can know, not just here, but here, we can know the love of Christ in our life. That Jesus stands, he says this way, at the door of the Christian's heart and he knocks wanting to be invited in to an abundant indwelling relationship. What we found last week about that is Jesus is saying, I want this for you. Paul was praying that it would happen um, and that it's not automatic. And a lot of times we think this, that I just come to Christ, I give my life to Jesus, and it's done. Friends, when you come to Christ, when you understand, all coming to Christ is, is understanding the truth. The truth of who God is and your place in that and then coming to a relationship with Christ. And what the Bible says that is, is just the beginning. It's the very first step. And that's in essence what Paul's talking about here. He said it's not a given, this abundant indwelling relationship. In other words, he's saying this, you could be a Christian bound for heaven and be miserable. Who in here wants to be miserable? Well, thank you. I'm glad to see that because sometimes we live like we do. You know, um, I saw, uh, I'm not even, no, Gary, don't laugh at me. I, just sing your name, Toby Mac. I don't even know who he is, okay? I know he's been around for a long time. I couldn't tell you what he sings. But people quote Toby Mac all the time on Facebook. And somebody quoted, put a quote, maybe one of you, a, a Toby Mac quote the other day, and says something like this. Did you really have a bad day? Or did you just have a bad five minutes that you hung on to the rest of the day? And I thought, that is profound. Well, friends, that's kind of the same idea here. That the Christian life that Paul is praying for, that we saw last week Jesus in Revelation is calling to us to, Paul's praying that it would happen, it's not automatic. It's not a given. Um, that, that it takes effort. It takes intentionality. It takes an, a, a desire. It takes, it takes, like Toby Mack saying, putting some things aside, like maybe some bad five minutes, and saying, I want a whole good life. With Jesus, that it takes some it takes some energy putting into it, at least partnership with God. So today, what I want to do, but with that background, is what I want to do today is I want to spend some more time with this prayer, and then what we're going to do is we're going to see the following two verses that you're going to say that those are comments really about the prayer. So let's turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter three, and let's look at this prayer again and just the two verses that follow. The prayer. And we're going to start a couple verses down from what we did last time. Verses 14 and 15, he's basically saying, he said, listen, I bow my knees before the Father. He's saying, I'm getting down and ready to pray. And then in verse 16, he says, this is the prayer. He says that he, and he is talking about God here, 
that he would grant you, or God would give you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, stop right there. What I want us to notice today is the length to which the Apostle Paul goes to help us understand in this prayer that our relationship with God is meant to be beyond just theoretical, that it's in fact meant to be experiential, and it's meant to be transformative, that it's not primarily about theology, although theology is important. It's about internal reality, because here's what we do know. You can have and a lot of people have this, great theology, meaning great understanding about the things of God, and they can have zero reality in their life. Paul's saying there's more than just that understanding. See, look at this prayer. Look at the statements that he makes in this prayer that's trying to make that point. He's just kind of coming at it from different angles. First of all, he says, he prays, that we would be strengthened in the inner man. Well, that's experiential. That we'd have an internal effect. We'd be strengthened in the inner man. Then he says, they praise that Christ may dwell in your hearts. That's relational. He's saying, you'd actually know he's there. Then he prays that we may know the love of Christ, which looks what he says it. The love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. So he says this, that you would know something that's greater than you can know. What's it talking about? It's talking about experience. The, the words that are used here in the original language talk about knowing here meaning beyond knowledge but being experiential. So that we may know or we may experience the love of Christ in a way that's beyond just head knowledge. That's what he's saying. That's experiential. Then he prays that we would, we would be full of the fullness of God. If you just get that, that's the Christian life. You would be full of the fullness of God. So it's relational and experiential. That God would be in us to such an extent that it would fill us up. See, this is a picture of how Paul sees the normal Christian life. It's one of Christ dwelling in a person and that internal dwelling being so real that it causes us to experience the reality of the love that God has from us, for us. We would feel or we would experience his unimaginable love. And he tries to explain what's that unimaginable love like. He goes, well, it has breadth and it has length and it has height and it has depth. You know, I think he's just grasping for words. Trying to explain this, remember, the unexplainable. Know the unknowable. He says, so we would feel and experience his unimaginable love and that life of living in the reality of his love is the fullness of the life that we can experience. That's really what he's getting in here. It's kind of the, the climax of the whole thing. 
that the life of living in the reality of his love, not just saying, I know about his love, remember it's knowledge that goes beyond knowing to, know, to knowing, feeling, experiencing. He said the life of living in the reality of his love, this love that has breadth and length and height and depth, that that is the fullness of the life that we can experience. We can really experience honestly, really being loved, being secure in love. And what I have found in my, my walk and in walking with many other people is this is the whole cheeseburger. That's everything. When a person goes from not just saying, oh, that God, Jesus loves the little children, to saying, Jesus really loves me, and it goes from here to here, I know it, I, I experience it, He loves me, that is the life of the fullness of God within us. That we, you and I, can actually live lives where we experience the indwelling love of Christ and that full life will then lead to personal, internal transformation. That as we experience love, guess what happens? We naturally love. It transforms us. See, I believe that what the Apostle was communicating to these Christians in Ephesus who lived in this place that was spiritually tough and draining, that was this. He's trying to get them to understand. He's saying, get this, friends. He's going, this, that God, this loving God is really in you. He's trying to get them to understand that. He's saying, this isn't a fairy tale. That it's, it's not a metaphor meant to, to symbolize something else. He's saying, listen, this love of God, this loving God really lives in you. Christ himself dwells in your heart by faith. If you are a child of God, he's with you. He's in you. Friends, that's the message he wants us to get. It's not a fairy tale. If you are followers of Christ, and it comes from being in Christ, then he really is within you, and that makes all the difference in life. You see, I think we misunderstand this. I would say this, I think I misunderstood it for years. I, and, and, that's, and having good theology, you can misunderstand this. See, I think many Christians, Christians actually view their interaction with Jesus as more like our modern 911 system than an indwelling reality of God. Let me explain. Like our 911 system, we believe that Jesus is just a phone call away. Right? Just a phone call away. So what happens? A tragedy happens, and we call, and we know they will respond. If my house is on fire, and I call 911, Jim and his friends are going to show up at my house. They're going to put the fire out, right? I know it. If I call 911, a tragedy happens, I call, they will respond. His presence in that concept, God's presence, using the analogy, isn't a continual reality. The fire department doesn't live at my house. It's not a continual reality. It's not an ongoing interaction, but rather it's something we call upon from time to time, especially in times of need. So we go about our everyday lives. We do our jobs, accomplish our tasks. And we know Jesus is hes just a phone call away. He's out there, available if we need him. We value Jesus. We maybe even think about Him from time to time. We maybe spend a couple minutes reading about Him in the Bible or devotional. But in all reality, 
We don't live in an awareness of His presence. The way Paul's describing it here. Matter of fact, I think, we think, that the way Paul describes his indwelling reality of Jesus is something reserved for some super saints who live extraordinary lives. That that idea of living in the abundant reality of the love of Christ, that's for the Billy Grahams, that's for the Mother Teresas. It's not for people who have to get up at 4.30 in the morning and go to work and moms and dads who have to raise kids. It's really not for them. Friends, Paul's trying to say just the opposite. This is exactly what Paul's getting at. He is praying for ordinary. He makes a point of it. It's to the saints in Ephesus, the everyday people. He's praying for the ordinary, everyday followers of Jesus who live in a spiritually tough place. They live in a tough place. People just like every one of us he's praying for. And he wants us to understand that a real life of the real presence of Jesus where you really experience his amazing love is really available to each of us. Is that enough reallys for you? I'll say it again, that a real life of the real presence of Jesus, where you really experience His amazing love, is really available to each of us. Friends, a life where Christ in me is real, where Christ in me directs me, it actually affects me, where the Christ in me encourages me, where Christ in me corrects me, where Christ in me empowers me, doing in and through me what is impossible for me to do on my own, by my own abilities, and by my own efforts. That Christ in me is the key to gaining the transformation that we've always hoped for, and we've always longed for, but maybe we've given up on because we have tried, and we have tried, and we have failed, and we have failed by our own efforts. Friends, this is why I believe. I think that's the idea we say. We see that. That's a possibility. But it's for the Mother Teresa. It's not for me. And Paul's saying it is for you. And I'm saying, but I don't believe it. Friends, that's why I believe Paul follows this prayer with verses 20 and 21. The prayer we read, first of all, he lays out the picture of the preferred life for the believer. A life of love and fullness in Christ where he says it's real, it's powerful, it's transformative. And then he says, guess what? It's not pie in the sky. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a metaphor meant to represent something else. The life you long for, he's saying this, is an available reality. Not because you're going to try harder. Not because you're going to learn more. But it's available as a gift from God. Because, what's he saying, verse 20? Because nothing is impossible for God. Friends, that's exactly what he's saying here. Paul follows his prayer by assuring us that what he asks God to bring into our lives is possible. Why? Because he is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Paul says, listen, I'm giving you a picture of his preferred life. And it's possible because God can do it. He says, it's not up to you. He says, listen, What I'm praying for you is possible because Christ dwells in you and He can do more than you could ever imagine or ask for. I think Paul is doing this. He's asking a rhetorical question. He says, since this limited power of Christ is available in you and dwells in you, then why do you settle for living by your own strength? Why do you settle 
for less than is available. See, I think something's going on here. Remember, Paul's a guy. Yes, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, but Paul's just a man. And he's, as he's writing this letter to people he loves, I think all of a sudden at this point, he has, he has a flashback in, in, in an instance. I think as he writes this, he thinks about his own life. And he remembered where he came from. He remembered that at one time he was an angry man, a man with great theology, a man, a leader in his religious organization, but he was a man filled with hate and rage and anger. He was filled with hate, especially for anyone who disagreed with him. He was filled with hate, especially for those who followed Jesus. He remembered back in his own life that he was the one who hunted down Christians. He remembered that he was the one who consented to their execution. And he remembered that he was the one who dragged them to prison for their faith. He remembered that man. The man that he was. But then he looked in a mirror, in essence. And he saw who he'd become. A transformed man. A man filled with the love of God for the very people he had once hated. A man amazed by how the love that God had, had, had for him, the chief of sinners, that's how he responded, referred to himself. He said, I'm the worst of the worst. But God loves me. He looked in the mirror and he saw a man strengthened in the inner man by the very Spirit of God. A man transformed by the love of Christ. And he looks at himself and he says, if God can change me, he can change anyone. And he says, Christians, understand, the life of love and joy and empowerment and transformation is available for you all also. He said, it's not based on education. It's not based on money. It's not based on ability. It's based on God's amazing, unlimitless power. And that power is at work within you and will transform you if you yield to Him and partner with Him. Friends, let me ask you a really honest question. Are you tired of trying and failing? Are you tired of pretending? You know, you pretend, we're good pretenders. We act like we know Christians ought to act. But inside, we continually wrestle and fight against those things that we know are not consistent with Christ. We continually fight against sin. We go to the TV set. We know we shouldn't watch that crap. It's wrong, it's bad, it's sinful, but we say, I really want to, but I'll force myself to turn the channel. But inside, I really want to watch it. You know what I'm talking about. You act loving and you act patient on the outside, but inside you just want to slap people. Right? (laughs) Here is what Paul has to say to that. God can change you. He can change your life. He can change your heart. That you can actually live in love and righteousness, and holiness. You can be changed from the inside out so that His love actually becomes your love. You become like Jesus on the inside. 
Now you may be thinking, well, Mark, guess what? That's impractical. Mark, guess what? That's impossible. Paul looks at you and me and he says, no way, man. God can do more in you than you, how's he say it? You ever imagined or could even think of. Friends, imagine with me what it would be like to love like Jesus loves. Just that one thing. Imagine with me what it would be like to love as Jesus loves. There's a, a speaker who always says this about the love of God, that Jesus has never had a negative thought about you or anybody else. Imagine if that kind of love and attitude you had and I had. I could love, if I, imagine if you loved like Jesus loved. Think of the amount of energy and frustration and waste in our lives because we don't walk in love. You're mad at the guy at the grocery store who didn't even know that he offended you. We're mad at the, at the guy in traffic. We're mad at our kids because they disobeyed. We're mad at our wife because they didn't do what we wanted them to do. We're mad at the boss because we didn't get the raid, raise. We live in life. We're mad because we don't live the lives, do the jobs that we wish we had. And we, we, we're filled with all this extra wasted energy and negativity and rottenness inside of us. Why? Because we're filled with us instead of filled with the love of God. Imagine what it would be like to be Jesus and just love. Can you imagine it? That's what Paul was saying. He's saying, imagine. It's beyond what you could even imagine. Imagine what it would be like to not be ruled by fear. Fear changes so much of everything we do in our everyday life. Think of how our lives are affected because we have a fear of the unknown. Because we're afraid of the unknown, what do we do? We hoard. Man, my entire life's got to be about just packing money away because what if the market goes down? The whole life is, is, is based on fear. What if this happens? I've got to prepare for that. What if that happens? What if my boss says this? What if my friend says this? What if my kids do that? All the what if thinking. What's what if thinking? It's fear. It's living outside the reality of the kingdom of God where I understand I am one in whom Christ loves, dwells and delights and I live in a stable, unshakable kingdom of God where I rest in Him and He cares for me. That's where fear comes from. Imagine what it would be like not to be ruled by fear. Imagine what it would be like to not be afraid of what others think of us. You know how much of our world life is wasted with image management? We do all that we do just because we care what you think about me more than I care what he thinks about me. So what do I do? I gotta look good. I gotta talk good. I gotta have the right car and live in the right house and have my yard look perfect. Why? It could be because you're more concerned about what people think and that drives your whole life. It's image management. What's it really? It's living by a false self. The false self that we've created because we hide that real self that's inside of us because the false self, we say, well, the world will tolerate that. Friends, that's just living by fear. Imagine what it would be like to not be ruled by fear. Imagine what it would be like to be free from that secret sin in your life. That thing that only you know about. Maybe a few choice other people you've shared it with. But imagine what it would be like not to have to wrestle with it to have victory over it. Imagine what that would be like. Jesus invites us to a life beyond just getting saved. A life, he invites us to a life of spirit fullness where we live in the reality of the love of Jesus and we become like Him. 
free from the things that weigh us down, free to live fully for Him. Friends, there's a way that the Lord has spoken this into my heart in the last couple of years, and it's changed my life. It's this little phrase, and maybe it doesn't mean anything to anybody else, but it's revelation to me. And I've maybe even shared it before, but it's a, the phrase like this, that Jesus offers us a life where, where this, where we actually feel like Jesus instead of fake like Jesus. We actually feel like Jesus on the inside instead of faking to be like Jesus on the outside. Fake to be like Jesus on the outside is have the bracelet that says WWJD. And we say, well, I don't really feel it like it on the inside, but what would Jesus do in this situation? And I understand, especially in your new Christian life, there's a lot of times you just say, How do, what's the right thing to do? And you do it because it's the right thing to do. But as you mature in Christ, it becomes on the motives of your heart and the reality of Christ in your life. And you recognize that the greatest joy in the world, the thing that almost seems unimaginable, is that I could feel like Jesus on the inside. That I could, by Christ in me, not ever have a negative thought about anybody else in this room. Imagine that. That's what he's offering. Only good. We can feel and we can think like Jesus for a reason. It's a possibility. Because Christ lives in us. That's why Paul's trying to make this point. And Scripture in other places shows this transformation, not as pie in the sky, but as an available reality. Think for me, for, for instance, of a man in Scripture that the Apostle Paul knew well because he consented to his death, a man named Stephen. You know who Stephen is in the New Testament? He's the book of Acts. One of the, he's one of the first deacons ever selected to serve the local church. Stephen's this deacon. Bible says this about him. It says he went around doing ministry in the name of Jesus and that through him many, many signs and wonders were performed. So deacons understand God wants to do signs and wonders through you. And his ministry caused such a stir, so much so that a mob of jealous, threatened Jews led by a man named Saul, who later became Paul, stoned him to death because they were threatened by him. Now, The reason I bring Stephen up here is because of the way he died. I don't mean how they killed him throwing rocks at him, but how he acted when he died. This is going to reveal something to say, hey, Paul's on to something here. What Paul says that you can only think is possible actually can be possible. See, as they were stoning Stephen in the very last moments he had on earth, the scripture says this, It says that he was being being full of the Holy Spirit. He gazed intently into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And then it says he said this. The last moments of his life as they're hitting him in the head with rocks. Lord, do not hold the sin against them. Now here's my question. Who does Stephen sound like in that moment of death? Jesus. He sounds just like Jesus on the cross. As they were nailing Jesus to the cross, did he curse them? Did he say, I'll get my vengeance on you? I'm going to have God smite you? Is that what he said? He said, Father, forgive them. 
for they do not know what they are doing. Here's the question. How could Stephen respond just like Jesus in such a horrible moment in his life where he's not faking it? You don't fake it when they're killing you. The real deal comes out in your last moments. We get how Jesus could do it, maybe. How Jesus in his last moments you know, because we understand he's fully God and fully man, but he's fully God. And we know he divested himself of some of those rights, but he still, we understand he's, he's divine and he could look past man's sinfulness and for the joy set before him, he could endure the cross, despising the shame, knowing what he was accomplishing. We could understand how he could love rather than hate at that moment. But how could Stephen do it? How could he do the same? We have a hard time forgiving someone when they cut us off in traffic or when they hurt us in the past. 35 years later, we still hold on to it, so we still don't talk to them. How? Friends, it's because Stephen lived the life that Paul prays for all of us to live in Ephesians. A life, as it says about him, full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. That's how it describes Stephen. He says, he lived out what Paul prays for all Christians in Ephesus and for all time. And as a result, he was transformed from the inside out. He became like Jesus on the inside, and it showed on the outside. He felt like Jesus. He didn't have to fake to be like Jesus in that moment. He really said, God, they don't know what they're doing. Don't hold it against them. Friends, too often we try to change our outside behavior. Some of us are really good at it. We're really disciplined. We vow to never lie again. Never gossip again. Never watch porn again. Whatever that thing may be. But the truth is, we fail and we fail and we fail again and again and again. Church understands something. Spiritual transformation that changes that happens from the inside out as we yield to and we look to and we partner with Christ who is actually inside of us, we say, God, I yield to you. Help me. We, 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 we form our lives around being aware of His nearness and being engaged in His presence. And then we understand that as we walk with Him, we change because with Him, everything is possible. Now, as I close this morning, I want you to listen again to the prayer that Paul prays for us. And as I read it, I want you to open up your lives to the reality of Christ in you. Invite the Holy Spirit to fill you and ask for the love of Jesus to grip you and believe that Jesus is able to transform you little by little as because He is a reality within you. So let me read this prayer. Matter of fact, if you want, follow along or if you want, close your eyes and let it be the Apostle Paul by the power of the Holy Spirit's prayer for each one in this place today. A prayer for transformation from the inside out. Becoming like Jesus so we don't have to fake like Jesus. That He would grant you. He would grant you. According to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, 
and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I think there's only one way to end today. And that's to do what verse 21 says. He does this whole prayer. Then he empowers us by saying, it's possible. And then he breaks into praise and worship. To God, to Him, be the glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever. He ends this by saying, all we can do is worship God. And so I invite you today to stand with me. And we are going to worship the Lord with a song that invites Jesus to come and have His, have his way in our lives. Invites us, invites Him to transform us. They're going to lead us in worship in this one song. And I ask you, open up your hearts. Sing it as a prayer and allow the Spirit to become richer and fuller in your life. If he asks for things to be given up, he says, you know what, Mark, I want to give you more, but I want you to let go of that. Do it today. Don't argue, don't debate. He's smart, we're not. Let's partner with him in transformation. God bless you.